We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello, and welcome to the Finding Peace Podcast. I'm really excited that you're joining me today, and I'm hoping that today will be a great show for you. I have a couple of housekeeping items before we get to the course of the show. If you haven't picked up your copy of A Year of Self-Love, it came out earlier in November. It's 365 entries that have mantras, quotes, stories, and activities to help us practice greater self-compassion and self-care. You can buy it at any bookstore near you, and it is the holiday season, so maybe there's someone in your life who would love to have a book to remind them that they're important and that they matter. So you may want to check that out. I also wanted to share with you that in April, we are going to have the next Finding Peace retreat. That sells out fairly quickly. It takes place in Prescott. And it's an amazing four-day experience where we walk through the path of finding peace found in the Finding Peace workbook, and it's all experiential-based. The activities are created to help deepen your understanding of the concepts and help you be able to resolve some of the wounds that you may be struggling with. And so if you'd like to learn more information about that, you can go to findingpeaceacademy.com. And finally, I just barely created the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. It's a 5-day challenge where I walk you through each of the elements of the Finding Peace process and give you one activity to do a day with one short video that, if you follow it, can have an effect, a positive effect in, in changing your life and helping you be able to work through some of the attachment wounds that you have. If you'd like more information on taking the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge, you can go to TroyLLove.com. All right, that is the end of the housekeeping items. Let's get on with the show. So the other day, I'm standing in the hallway of a counseling office on our Marine base here in Yuma. I had just gotten out of a meeting with a chaplain and one of the officers who are in charge of planning a massive training for the Marines. It's a required annual training that they have to go to every year where they talk about things like sexual harassment and domestic violence prevention, alcohol and substance abuse awareness, those kind of things. And they wanted me to come and talk about sex addiction. And so I had been invited to come to the Marine base. In order to get onto the Marine base, you have to have special clearance. And there are a couple of ways to do that. But the easiest way to be able to do that is to be escorted onto the base by somebody who has clearance. My good friend Claudia had come and picked me up. I had parked my car across the street from the Marine base. And she had picked me up and taken me on base 
and was with me during this meeting. After the meeting, I told her that I needed to go to the restroom, and so she showed me where the restrooms were. After I was finished, I came out of the restroom, and she was standing there. At the same time as she was standing there, one of my old friends from a long ago happened to be there, and I started talking to him, and as I was talking to him, she went into this office that was right across from the bathroom. I'm talking to my friend. We're having a really great time. And as soon as I'm done with him, I turn around and there is someone else. It almost started feeling like old home week. And so I talked with another friend that I have known for a while and, and chatted with her for a minute. And then waves goodbye as she had to go back to work. And I turned around and there was another person that was there and talking to me. And so I probably was standing there for about 10 minutes talking to these different people. And then I was ready to go. I peeked into the office and saw that Claudia was talking to this man and having a pretty in-depth conversation. And she looked at me, but it was almost like she didn't even recognize me. I thought, well, she must be, you know, busy talking to this person, so I'll just wait. So I'm standing there for several minutes and She's still talking, so I'm pacing up and down the hall. I'm reading all the pictures and posts on the walls and, and just trying to find something to do to keep myself preoccupied. And then I poke my head back into the office, and she's still talking to this guy. And not only is she talking to this guy, but she has sat down at a desk and is having this in-depth conversation with this guy. And I'm starting to think, well, that's interesting. I got to get back to work. I wonder why this must be really important. And so I just keep pacing up and down the hallway and continuing to find things that maybe are interesting to read. And pretty soon I'm running out of things that are interesting to read. And so I poke my head in to the office again and I smile and she smiles at me and she goes on talking to this guy. And I am starting to get a little bit frustrated. I am thinking, why are you not, don't you know, my car is stuck across the street from the Marine base. I can't leave. I guess I could walk back over to my car. I guess I could do that. But you are the one who were going to pick me up and take me back. And this must be like, what is going on here? And I'm noticing that I'm getting a little bit frustrated with her. She's still talking to this guy. And so I thought, well, I'm going to look around a little bit more. I'm just going to wander around this place a little bit more. And so I start wandering around and I go back to where we held the meeting with the chaplain and the officer and Claudia. And I look in that room and Claudia is sitting there. And I'm a little bit taken back. I, I'm shocked. I say to Claudia, there is a woman on the other side of this building that looks exactly like you. She is sitting there having a conversation with someone. She looks exactly like you. And Claudia starts laughing and she says, oh, well, that's my twin sister. I said, what? She said, yeah, that's my twin sister. I said, I didn't know you had a twin sister. And she said, oh, yeah, she, I have a twin sister. I said, what are the odds that you and your sister are working in the same building and you're on other opposite sides of the building? She goes, oh, I know. I get that all the time. I said, I have been standing out there for 10 minutes wondering why you weren't going to take me to my car. And she laughed and she goes, you know what I was doing? I was sitting in my office wondering, where in the heck is Troy? 
I thought he needed to get back to his car. Why isn't he here? I don't understand why. Where did he go? I think I need to go find him. I can't find him. Afterwards, she introduced me to her sister, and her sister said, I kept wondering why you kept poking your head into this office and looking at me. I wondered, what do you need? What do you want? And the reason why I'm sharing that with you is because it is the introduction to the question of the week. And here's the question. How can I stop being so angry? That is a great question, and I'm really excited to be able to address that today. How can I stop being so angry? As I think about the experience that I had with Claudia and the misperceptions that I had about what was going on, those misperceptions were what was driving my anger. Anger is the emotion that shows up when there's the perception that something has been taken from you without your permission. And the key word is that you perceive that something has been taken from you without your permission. So if you were in traffic and you were going down the freeway and you're traveling at 75 miles an hour, let's say, and somebody pulls in front of you, you might have this gut reaction of anger, you might call out some names, shake your fists. If we pause for a moment and figure out, okay, you're now feeling angry, What what is that? Well, there was a perception that something was taken from you without your permission. So if we look at what that was, it could have been a perception that they were taking your safety away from you, they were taking your space, they were taking time, they were taking something from you without your permission. And that's what fueled the anger. Now, You've probably also been in a situation where there's a huge traffic jam and somebody is trying to get into the traffic and they're stuck, they're on the side of you and they are trying to get into the traffic. And so you pause and you wave and you let them in. And in that moment, you don't feel anger. And the reason why you don't feel anger is because there's not a perception that they've taken anything from you without your permission. In fact, you've allowed them, you've welcomed them to come in and be in front of you. And so because you've allowed that to happen, it's been okay with you. There's no feeling of anger. But when you perceive that something is being taken from you without your permission, then all of a sudden you feel the feeling of anger. And it's directly tied to our attachment wounds. In fact, the more raw the attachment wounds are, the less work that you've done with healing those wounds, the more anger tends to be the emotion that shows up for a lot of people if they haven't done any work around those attachment wounds. So let me give you another story. This happened when I was working at the hospital. I was working in human resources, and I was teaching a class, and one of the nurses shared this experience. She was one of the supervising nurses for the emergency department, and part of their job every day is to manage the staffing of the department to make sure that there's enough nurses and other personnel to help make sure that the emergency department is running as smoothly as possible. And there was a nurse who had not shown up for work. She hadn't called off. She hadn't called in to say that she wasn't going to be there. The charge nurse was scrambling around, just busy, and thought in the back of her mind, well, she'll probably show up. She's probably just running a little bit late. It's going to be fine. Not a big deal. But an hour goes by, and an hour and a half goes by, and this nurse has not shown up. But it's a really busy day. There's all kinds of craziness going on. 
and the charge nurse is now realizing that they are going to be scrambling if they don't find someone to fill this slot. She decides to call the nurse to find out how come she's not at work. So she calls the nurse and she says, hey, so-and-so, uh, we haven't, you didn't come to work today. We're hoping that everything's okay. Can you please call me and let me know when you're going to be able to come to work? Or if you're not going to be able to come to work, can you please let us know? I, I'm really hoping that you'll come. Uh, let, let us know. She put on that cheerful, friendly voice on the phone, but really underneath that, she was angry. She was angry because she was overwhelmed, the department was overwhelmed, and here is this situation where this nurse is not there. And that is really jamming up their ability to take care of patients. The doctors and nurses are overwhelmed, they're having to split things in a different way, and she's now having to call around and try to get somebody else to come in to cover, and so she's, she really isn't happy. She is angry. So let's pause for a moment. Anger comes from a sense that something is being taken from you without your permission. So what was taken from this church nurse without her permission? Well, her time. She could have been using her time to do a million other things other than being on the phone trying to find someone else to come into work. In this experience, the perception is that this nurse has taken away time. She's having to spend time doing things that she didn't really want to be doing. Well, later on that day, the church nurse gets a phone call, and it's from this woman that the Chargers has never talked to before. And the woman says, Hello, I am the sister of the nurse that didn't show up at work today. And I just needed to let you know that she died in her sleep last night. She wasn't answering the phone and she wasn't responding to texts. And so we went over to check on her and found that she was lying in her bed and she had passed away. And I just wanted to call you and tell you thank you for checking on my sister and being so kind and, and loving and compassionate and, and concerned about my sister. It just makes my heart so happy to know that there are people in her life who cared about her that much. Whoa. In that moment... Two things happened with the nurse. First, she was really grateful that she had left a nice message and not an angry message on the phone. And second, everything shifted for her in that moment. All of the anger and the frustration that she had been carrying that day about having to find another nurse and, and having to deal with all of that went away. It melted away. And immediately, she just felt sadness. And the perception that time was taken completely shifted and she realized how time is fragile and we really don't know how much time we have left. It completely shifted her perspective and it made her think twice when she started interacting with other people because she identified that there's got, there's probably a story underneath what's actually going on and I can be focused on my own stuff and my own sense of anger that something's being taken from me without my consent, or I can tell another story. That's actually one of the strategies that helps us not be so angry. A lot of times when we're angry, we want to suppress that emotion. We want to pretend that we're not angry. We want to pretend that it, it really doesn't matter, that it's not a big deal, and so we push it down. 
But neurologically, the neuroscience shows us that when we push it down and we deny that we're angry, that actually makes it worse. It actually amplifies the anger, except that it comes out sideways. Instead of being able to address it directly, it comes out all gross and gooey. It's like you've squeezed something and everything's coming out the sides and it's all messy and it's actually worse. And so first, it's important to identify that I am angry. I am angry right now and to own that. The second part of being able to work on anger is to identify what am I perceiving as being taken from me without my permission. And if I can if I can identify what it is, then I can challenge and change that story. And that's what happened with me and Claudia. As soon as I recognized that she has a twin sister, my story changed and I no longer felt irritated or upset with Claudia. Everything shifted. And as soon as the nurse heard about the death of her employee, everything shifted for her. Nothing else changed. The situation was still the same. The nurse hadn't shown up for work. I was still wandering around in the hallway for 15 minutes. None of that changed. What changed was my perception. And that is the powerful tool that you can use to be able to shift your anger into love, to shift your anger into compassion. Now, we can be angry at ourselves a lot. We can be angry because we perceive that our behaviors have taken something away from us without our permission, which is ironic because we engage in those behaviors. We can also be angry at others. For example, I can be angry at my child because he didn't take the garbage out. And I've asked him five or six times to take the garbage out. And I can increasingly become more and more angry. If I pause for a moment, well, what's, being, what's happening is that my rejection wound is being stirred up because he's not listening to me. And the perception is that he's taking something away from me without my permission. Well, what in the world could my son be taking away from me without my permission? Well, the answer that comes up for me is respect. He's taking my respect away from me. When I say that out loud, my son is taking my respect away from me, it actually sounds a little crazy. It sounds a little ludicrous because my son does not have the ability to take my respect from me. He can be disrespectful to me. If my son is being disrespectful to me, that is about him and what's going on with him and his own wounds and his own stories. It's not necessarily about me, but when I identify that I think my son is taking respect from me, that's where the fallacy is. Because I, I can have respect, and nobody actually can take that respect from me. They can be disrespectful to me, but in the end, that's really about what's going on with them, their own pain, their own woundedness. And if I actually can see that for what it is, I can practice love and compassion. I can practice understanding instead of getting all angry, because anger doesn't really solve the problem. It just fuels the dilemma of me getting angry triggers his rejection wound, and then he's not in a position where he really wants to help me out anymore, and then I'm angry because he's disrespecting me and stirring up my rejection wound, and it becomes a cycle. But if I stop and think, wow, my perception is my son is taking respect from me. He's not doing exactly what I want him to do. Well, let me pause for a minute. Let me come up with a, another reframe. Does the garbage still need to be taken out? Yes, yes, it does. Is he taking my respect from me without my permission? No. If that's happening, I'm actually giving it away. I can continue to act in a responsible, loving way 
and say, look, I know that it's really hard for you. I've asked you to take the garbage out. We need to come up with a time frame for this to happen or here are some of the consequences that are going to happen because you need to learn responsibility and it shifts like I want the focus is on helping my son learn responsibility rather than focusing on him not respecting me that changes everything if I want my son to learn responsibility I can do that in a loving compassionate firm way or I can do that in an angry and pissed off way which one do you think is going to be more effective this takes practice to be able to identify the perception of what it is that I think is being taken from me without my permission, and then telling another story. I'm sure that there's been situations in your life where you had an understanding of something that was happening that was either based on assumption or based on misinformation, and then when everything is sorted out, you realize, oh, wow, having that new perspective really shifts things for me. I'll end with this final story. My wife and I struggled with infertility for the first nine years of our life, and we finally were able to do in vitro fertilization, and we had one baby girl. And she was, and she still is, the one of the highlights of our life. And I was a sucker for cute baby dresses, and so every time I would go to the store, I would see these adorable little girl dresses and I would buy them and I would come home. Every morning I would get up and I would get my daughter and I would dress her up and pick out one of the most cute, adorable little baby dresses and put it on her and oh, she looked so cute. And then I'd go take a shower and get ready for the day and get ready to go to work. And when I'd come out of the shower, my daughter was wearing something completely different than what I had just put on her. And she's a baby, so there's no way in the world that she could have changed her clothes herself. And the only other person in the home is my wife. And I thought, well, that, what, what is going on here? I didn't really think anything of it until the next day when I'm trying to be helpful and I'm picking up my daughter and I'm putting her in a cute little frilly outfit and then I go take a shower, and when I come back, my daughter is wearing a different outfit. This is becoming a trend. It's happening day in and day out. I am starting to get really frustrated. I'm thinking to myself, what? Why are you doing that? Don't you see that I am trying to be helpful? Don't you understand that I want my daughter to be really cute? And you're changing it. You're changing what she's wearing. You're you're not supporting my attempts to be helpful. Except I didn't say any of that. I was just holding it in. So what was one of the first things I told you about? Don't hold in the anger. I totally was holding it in. I wasn't speaking it. I was holding it in. And as I was holding it in, it was getting worse. It was stirring up my rejection wound. And anger is the perception that something has been taken away from me without my consent. So what did I perceive had been taken from me without my consent? Well, in this case, it was the perception that my help, my love, my compassion, my desire to serve was being taken from me and thrown in the trash without my consent. Again, that's the perception. Is it accurate? Is she taking away my love? Is she taking away... I could tell myself that story, but that's actually going to make things worse. Nobody can take my love away from me. I I can stop giving love, but nobody can take it away. And so that's the truth. Nobody can take my love away. I finally was so frustrated one day 
I get out of the shower. My daughter is wearing another outfit that I didn't put on her. And I finally said to my wife, why do you keep changing her dresses? What is going on here? And my wife said, Troy, I know that you've been trying to be really helpful. And I am so grateful for the work, the, the way that you've been trying to help. But it hasn't actually been helpful. It's actually been making more work for me. What are you talking about? Why is that making more work for you? She says, because you don't know what the plan is for the day. You don't know where we're going. You don't know what we're going to do, kind of activities we have scheduled. And so because you didn't ask, you just put on a really frilly dress, which wasn't going to be conducive for where we were going. Maybe we're going to go outside and we needed to put on some warmer clothes for her. Or maybe we were going to have a play date and we I wanted her to be able to be in some more rugged clothes or whatever. And she says, because you didn't ask me what the day was, it actually made me frustrated because I'd come in and see that the that our daughter was wearing clothes that weren't going to match what we were doing today, and so I'd have to change them. And so I've been frustrated too. It was like a little light bulb went on. I'm like, oh. And in that moment, everything melted. I no longer felt rejected by my wife. I wasn't angry. And so I started to say, hey, what's the activity for day? What outfit would you like my daughter to wear today? And I was able to help. Was my help taken away from me without my permission? In actuality, no. There was just miscommunication. That is the power. When we are able to identify what it is that's going on, we can change the story. It makes the world of difference. So when you find yourself angry again, maybe you won't be able to do it in that moment, but afterwards, maybe you can stop and ponder for a moment. What was the perception? What did I feel was taken from me without my permission? And what wounds were being stirred up? And in actuality, were those things really did that person really have the ability to take from me the thing that I perceived that they were taking? You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to TroyLLove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.